I have spent a lot of time in the last couple of months with our friend Abraham. And as I have reflected on his life, I could not help but reflect on parallels with my own. For example, I sometimes have been made to wonder how in the world it was that I wound up doing what I've done with my life. If you knew much about my family's background, you would wonder that too. If you could have gone back in the 1940s and 50s to Moody, Texas, and if you could have asked Jim and Ona Mae Ashley or Archie and Orpha Lee Geyer, if one of their grandsons would be a preacher, they probably would have thought no, and most of the people in the town would have laughed at the very thought. Neither one of my grandfathers were believers. My mother's father was an alcoholic. And there's been a long and sad history on both sides of my family of drug addiction and alcoholism. In fact, I would warn you, if you're ever in central Texas, even today, Waco, Temple, Colleen, Moody, that part of the world, and you think, well, no one knows me down here. I'm going to go into a bar and take the edge off. And you have a couple of drinks and you start mouthing off. I would advise that you not say anything ugly about me. Because the guy that decks you and puts you on the floor will probably be my second cousin. And yet here I am, a preacher of the gospel. How do you explain that? How do you explain my own parents who had their issues and problems growing up in uh, families where the parents, especially the fathers, weren't Christians, who had their own issues and even separated in my first great year of life how do you explain that by the time I was about seven I was telling the world I was going to be a preacher it was because of nothing in my background and so if my life has had any impact on anybody God deserves all the glory and my father would say the same thing well, my earthly father would, but I was speaking more specifically of my father, Abraham. Because in many ways, his background is even more unlikely than mine. And knowing something about his past, I think, would provide some viable checks for our future. So we have to start the study by learning exactly something about the soil from which this amazing life sprang. So open your Bibles... To chapter 11 of Genesis. And we're going to start reading in verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. And Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out 
from Ur the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Now you'll notice that that text started with these four words. This is the account. Now that phrase is found 11 times in the book of Genesis. And every time it is used, it is announcing a new uh, section of material. And it's not going to show up again for 14 chapters. So we're about to start a very major part of the history that the Genesis author is sharing with us. But this section is not going to be about Terah. It's going to be about one of his sons. The son that he named Abram. And you might argue, I think you can, that outside of Jesus of Nazareth, Perhaps no one has shaped history as much as Abram. You know, of course, he is regarded as the father of three different world religions, or at least as a father figure. Muslims hold Abraham as second only to Muhammad in terms of significance. You know, he's mentioned 188 times in the Quran. Jews, of course, will esteem Moses and they'll laud David, but they will be quick to tell you they are children of Abraham. In fact, it was Jesus' interpretation of that relationship that led to so much enmity. You remember in John chapter 8, there's a long section where they're saying, we're children of Abraham. We haven't been slaves of anybody. And Jesus, of course, challenges that view and says, Abraham looked forward to my day. And they said, what are you talking about? He lived long before you. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And that kind of talk was the kind of talk that God Jesus killed. Because Abraham is that important to the Jewish faith. And then as Christians, we see Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. To bless all the nations of the world. In fact, if you were going to start and you want to learn about Jesus, and you don't know anything about Jesus, someone says, buy a New Testament and read it. Here's the very first thing you would read, Matthew 1.1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's almost as if the writer is saying, to begin the gospel, you don't know Abraham, you can't understand Jesus. Galatians 3.29, Paul says, if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Besides this large section of material in Genesis that we're going to work our way through the next several months, did you know that Abraham is mentioned over 40 more times in the Old Testament? Did you know that he's mentioned over 70 times in the New Testament? And two more things are worth noting. I think these are significant. One is, did you know that three times in the Bible, Abraham is called the friend of God? But even more significant, all through the Bible, God refers to himself as the God of Abraham. But you would have never imagined... He was destined for greatness if you had done a background check. 
In Genesis, we have these different genealogies. And one of the first is in chapter 4, where it mentions the line of Cain and the line of Seth. And then it gets to the end of the line of Seth. And it says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. In other words, from the very beginning, there were these two different movements of men. Some seeking God, some ignoring God. You get to chapter 11, and you have another long genealogy. We just read part of it. And nowhere in there do you see anything about men calling on the name of the Lord. That after Babel, there was this tremendous descent into spiritual deterioration and Abraham was a part of that decline he was the son of a committed idolater you need to remember that many years later when Joshua is giving his famous farewell address to the people before his death he says in chapter 24 verse 2 To all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. That is Abraham's background. He came from roots so steeped in idolatry that we'll read uh, later in the book of Genesis chapter 31 that Jacob, his grandson, has gone back to the land from his forefathers to find a wife. And he meets and marries Leah and Rachel, you remember? And then he decides to go back to the land of promise. And it says, Rachel steals the family gods. And Laban is upset for a lot of reasons. And one of them is because of that thievery. And so Laban chases Jacob. And before he catches him, The God of Abraham appears and says to him, you leave him alone. Don't you touch him. Now, I think that would get my attention. But Laban says, your God, not the God, your God warned me in a dream to leave you alone. But I want my God's back. Now, he is the grandson of Nahor. He is the brother of Rebekah, Isaac's wife. That's how steeped this family is. That's how deep their roots go in paganism. Now, Jewish tradition says that Abraham was disgusted by the polytheism of his day. In fact, there's an old rabbinic legend that his father, Terah, actually owned an idol shop and made idols for people to buy and worship. And Abraham was disgusted, and so one day while his father is gone, he takes a hammer and he smashes a whole lot of little idols. And then he chips away a little bit at a big idol and puts the hammer on top of the big idol. And when Terah comes back, he's upset and said, what happened to all of our product? And Abraham said, well, the the gods got into a fight. And the little gods took on the big god, and the big god whipped them. And Tira said, son, you know that can't be true. We made these out of our own hands. And Abraham said, then, Father, why do we sell them to people to worship? It's a great story. It's just not true. You see, unlike Noah, the Bible says, now God saw there was a righteous man on the earth named Noah. Unlike Noah, the Bible never mentions any prior nobility in Abraham that received the notice of God. God's choice was based on his gracious sovereignty. The Bible never ascribes 
any merit on Abraham's part to explain why God chose him. But God, all the way back in chapter 3 of Genesis, had promised a deliverer. And he needed a man for his plan. Now we'll look at it in more detail next week, but look at the next three verses. The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And here's a hint of the plan. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now what's happening here? Well, here's what's happening. The story of God is shifting from the human race to the chosen race. Up through this part of Genesis, we have had the story of the human race. But now God, in His wisdom and sovereign plan, is making a shift to a chosen race. Now, please notice, I did not say favorite race. I said chosen race. Because some people make the mistake of thinking that God favors the descendants of Abraham. But nowhere in Bible does it suggest that God doesn't love all the nations. That his plan wasn't to bless all the nations and to include all the nations in his redemptive scheme. But he chose a nation through which to inaugurate this redemption. God chose the Hebrew nation. He chose the children of Abraham to be the race through whom the promised Redeemer would come. And while throughout history, I think sometimes the Jews have made too much of their ethnicity, I also think often Christians have made the mistake of making too little of it. Do you remember when the woman at the well said to Jesus, where should we worship? And Jesus said something to her. He said, salvation is from the Jews. Our Savior was a Jew. This Bible we read, with the possible exception of what Luke wrote, was written by Jews. Our salvation came through a chosen race. God's faithfulness to Israel defies all historical logic. Name me one other nation in ancient history that ever got conquered, that ever got scattered, that ever got taken off into exile, that still has maintained its national identity. How do you explain this? Frederick the Great one time said to a chaplain, Prove to me the Bible is true. And the chaplain said one word, Israel. And that was a good answer. God took this little people that have had nothing but centuries and centuries of oppression and bigotry. And he was going to use them to inaugurate his amazing salvation plan. 
And through this nation of Shemites, God sent a Savior to gather the Hamites and the Japhethites back into his family. Just as he promised Abraham he would do. Many centuries later, Paul is trying to explain all this to the Galatian Christians. And he says at the end of his letter... In chapter 6, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the whole world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Don't you understand it was always God's plan that through this nation he would bring up a new Israel who Aren't marked by circumcision, but who marked by the faith that Abraham modeled. That same verse in the message says, All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, His chosen people. I'll tell you tonight, I honestly believe that as a genuine follower of Jesus, I have a closer link to Abraham than a secular Jew does. See, as we study his life and as we see what God is doing as he's working out this amazing plan to bring a deliverer, to bring all the peoples of the world together, I think what we're going to notice is this is not a story about the greatness of Abraham. This is a story about the greatness of Abraham's God. Which, by the way, is the second thing I want to teach you tonight. That the glory of God is always the main point of the story. In fact... It was the glory of God that launched Abram's walk of faith. Again, many centuries later, when Stephen is called on the carpet for his preaching about Jesus, notice how he starts his sermon in Acts 7. He says, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia and before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Why on earth would a man do that? Why would a 75-year-old man leave his people, leave his culture, leave his religion? He had an encounter with the glory of God that exposed the foolishness of worshiping any other deity and this is the message of the whole bible this whole bible is a story it is launched by the glory of god it is sustained by the glory of god it is leading to the glory of god when every knee is going to bow and i personally think then that explains or at least it best explains god's surprising choice Of this Shemite named Abram. This old childless man. By the way, Abram means exalted father. And the irony is rich. Because every time someone said his name. They reminded Abram of the greatest single heartache of his life. He was not a father. He was never going to be a father. His wife was barren and they were old. And the God of glory chose him. 
so that there could be no question who should get the glory for what was about to happen. See, I wouldn't have done that. If you had told me that you've got to find a couple that can bear a son to launch a great plan of God, I'd have gone to your local gym and I'd have found the the couple that looked the healthiest, that were just oozing and brimming with virility. God chose two empty tombs and said, I want you to have lead roles in my story. Which tells me, That whenever I tell my story or our story in any way that diminishes the glory of God, I've told the story wrong. God doesn't choose us because of our backgrounds, but in spite of them. But He does choose us and wants to use us just As he used Father Abraham. And so tonight I would like to just close my thoughts by challenging us all to think about backgrounds. And how and why God uses them. Now here's the first thought I had. That you can do nothing about the background you receive. But you can do much about the background you give. Abraham did not inherit a legacy of faith in Yahweh. But he passed one on. We're going to see as we study that he moves into this new land. And wherever he goes, the first thing it's going to say he does. He's going to build an altar to his new God. And thus act out the claim of the promise. And if you keep reading Genesis, you're going to find out that his son and his grandson do the same thing. Now, I suppose if you had asked Terah which one of your sons made it big, he'd have said Nahor. Genesis 24 says Nahor built a city. There was a city called Nahor. Abraham spent his whole life in a tent. How many people today named their sons Nahor? See, here's the thing. You have no say about the background you received. But the glory of God can have a big say about the background that you leave. I think that's important. Here's point number two. I cannot claim my background is a hindrance to being used by God. See, God does not just record history. God makes it. And there is a place in God's story for every redeemed person regardless of their backgrounds we're going to find out that one of the women God will use to be the line through which the sun comes is Rahab you remember her background 
we're going to find out that the tax collector Matthew is going to write one of the Gospels. That the murderer Saul is going to become the apostle to the Gentiles. You can't tell me that God can't use you despite your background because I'm living proof he can. And I'm just one of many stories in this room. You see, remember what God said to Abraham? I'm going to make you a blessing. The great mistake most people in our culture make is this. They think the purpose of life is to get blessed. And they are killing themselves, chasing their blessings. And here comes God and says to Abraham, the purpose of your life is not to get blessed. The purpose of life is to be a blessing. And Abraham is still doing that. And his God is still your God. So don't tell me your background is keeping you from being used by God. That's not how he writes the story. Last point. God can use any background to mold character. Because childlessness was the great pain. In Abram's life. God would use the soil of that pain. To grow a faith. He would call all the world to imitate. Out of that pain. God would work into Abram's life. An ability to trust that the New Testament writers will later say is the key to understanding your salvation. Do you know that no New Testament writer, when they want to talk about how to get saved, goes to Acts and uses a story of conversion? They all go back to Abraham and they say, learn to trust God like he did. See, my suspicion tonight is that some of you have some pretty painful things in your background. They have either made you bitter or better. And perhaps tonight God brought you here to ask you to check. I could not help because no preacher can help as he writes sermons to reflect on his own current situation. I mentioned last weekend, if you were here, my father-in-law, James Lida, is very, very near death. He's got 24-hour hospice care now. I'll be going south any day now to preach his funeral. My father-in-law's mother died when he was just three. It was during the Depression. Some of you remember those years. He was passed sometimes from family to family to see who could raise him. His father had to leave and go off to another state just to find work. It was not an easy childhood. And out of that background came this strong, strong determination 
to create a family that would never know that kind of turmoil. And a heart and a compassion for children, but especially young men who never had a good home. And so he became a football coach and a construction site manager. And wherever he went, as my son Matthew put it, he made people's lives better. And in these last days, we've been overwhelmed at the number of former employees and former players who've called to say, Please tell Coach Lida I'm a better man because I knew him. In fact, yesterday, three of his boys from Elgin, Texas, who played football for him in high school before my wife was born, drove from all over the state just to sit by his bed. He can't even respond and just look at him and know because he came into their life. They're better men. God took a difficult background. And wrote it into his story. Because that's the kind of God. Abraham. And we. Have. So I'd like you to join me for a moment in prayer. I want to pray about backgrounds. Would you bow with me please. Some of you tonight have an awesome background. Generations of faith and love and strong families. Take a moment and thank God for that. Some of you have hard backgrounds, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. Has it made you bitter or better? Why don't you take a moment and ask God to use all of that pain for His glory. Stop resenting it and start asking God to use it. One more thing. Take a moment and ask God to help you leave a better background than you received. Let's close our prayer corporately. Let's sing this together. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of God.
all stand. We'll sing one more song because there might be someone here tonight ready to give their life to Christ and be baptized. I guarantee you, living the Christian life, you will leave a greater background than you inherited. Um, We're going to sing a song that Abraham would have appreciated because like him, we all have that moment in life when we have to decide, am I going to answer the call of God or not? Let's sing.